Welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. This is season three of our podcast, where every week we review a randomly chosen pro wrestling event selected via the randomizer that we fire up. It goes through all the internet's wrestling content, finds us a show to watch, could be from anywhere, anytime. And this week, we parachute into some weekly TV, and it's AWA championship wrestling on espn so again the randomizer taking us to the dying days here of uh, the awa (laughs) yeah another dying days of a promotion episode of the podcast uh you may be forgiven if you did not realize that the awa was still running shows and running tv in late 1988 uh yes this is uh brand new first run television it's not like on ESPN and years later, where they'd be running episodes of AWA late at night on ESPN two, many years after the promotion had died. No, this was happening in real time. And it was all part of the build to super clash three. Yeah. So this is October 17th, 1988. The matches taking place in Nashville, Tennessee, Larry Nelson, is our host. He welcomes us from the studio. Larry Nelson, by the way, looks a lot like modern present day David Crockett. He does. That's a that's, that's a good comp. Short. He's a bit husky. He's got a nice gray burly beard. He welcomes us to the show, and he's joined by Lee Marshall on this broadcast. He is not. Uh, he's not beaming in. He's not calling in via one eight hundred collect. It's not a road report. He is right there. No, he's also not Stagger Lee Marshall at this point. So. Uh, that is true. <laughs> he, he's here. Lee Marshall runs down the... He t- tells us about the Super Clash 3 main event in Chicago. Now, we'll get to... I think... Do you want to talk about Super Clash at the top of the show, or should we save it for the end? I think we should Let's, save it for I end. think we'll just hit it as it's natural. We might as well talk about it here as we go through at the very beginning of this show. Uh, probably the most noteworthy thing that happens uh, on this episode of AWT, AWA TV is Lee Marshall hosting uh, in a separate studio from the main studio, a two-studio broadcast. I always enjoy that. But he has uh, world-class championship wrestling president Frank Dusick. He has Jerry Jarrett of the CWA, Stanley Blackburn of the AWA. And he has two world champions, Kerry Von Erich of world-class and the AWA world champion Jerry Lawler. They're all in this very small room, and they have something to tell everybody. Yeah, they're here to, to do a contract signing. And both men... Sign the paper, and Lee Marshall uh, uh, and and folks go to interview Kerry. Kerry Von Erich's the first one. He he just wants to get it on right now. Jerry the King Lawler says this is long overdue. You had an accident where you were laid up in bed for a year, and you had a dream about unifying these titles. Well. It will be a nightmare as you're going to lose your title in Chicago. So uh, referencing Kerry Von Erich's uh, motorcycle accident where he lost his foot. Which and... we talked about quite a bit on that episode of 1987 world-class television. And we should note on that episode of world-class TV, it was all about the build to Kerry Von Erich coming back on Christmas day in 1987. Here we are some 10 months later in 1988 and he is the world-class world champion. Yeah, it's amazing he was able to get that title away from the likes of Brian Adias and, <laughs> and, uh, Al, and Perez. Al Perez. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> My go-to, sadly, Al Perez, always my go-to when I talk about uh, a less-than-seller champion in a failing promotion and what that says about everything. Uh, this, I thought, was really good. Uh, Kerry Vine, Eric, you know, he just... <laughs> He said he wanted to go. He gets, he starts to get up. Frank Dusick stops him. He says, let's go right now. Save yourself the embarrassment. And Jerry Lawler, as he ran down, I thought that was a very good understated Jerry Lawler promo. Yep. Uh, the business. one thing, the one thing about this, that again, kind of like the idea of El Perez being the champion of your promotion in 1987. When you're doing this thing about unifying it. And finally, we're going to only have one world title. You know what this reminded me of? 
Hmm. It reminded me of the Ric Flair versus Sting unification oh, match. We reviewed that uh, show. Yes. Yeah. From Clash of the Champions in what was it? June 94? of 1994 leading into Bash of the Beach 94 where the announcers were going so hard talking about how, you know, we're finally going to have this. You know, Bobby Heenan said this is the moment he had waited his entire life for in wrestling. Only one champion, one true world champion. And like everyone knew the WWF existed and <laughs> the same thing here. Like it's, I admire what they're trying to do, but anyone who is going to go to the effort of watching AWA in late 1988 is a pretty hardcore wrestling fan at that point. So they know that the NWA world heavyweight title exists. They know that the WWF championship exists. So everyone playing like they're in this weird world where they're acknowledging titles that are outside of, their promotion but they're not acknowledging the titles outside of their promotion that are not on the line here and they're trying to sort of convince everybody that this is to settle who is the one true world heavyweight champion like i just don't know exactly who this was for or who they thought they were fooling but it you know it, it was well executed in you know in a vacuum of what this promo was but yeah the story leaves a little to be desired yeah and we've ran down the history of the awa territory Yes. Uh, if you go back to any of our episodes in season one and two of this podcast, plenty of AWA content. Uh, we open those shows running down by the, the way of AWA. Are there too many people or are there that many people doing podcasts that can say plenty of AWA content? <laughs> yes. Yeah, sorry and, for the humble brag. And, yeah. St- yeah, and still have <laughs> listeners. Again, there were, there were good things about the AWA at times, but most of what we've reviewed here in this podcast not the high and mighty times of the AWA outside of that one 1983, 1983 show. So, yes. show. But yeah, I mean, Ron, Rod Trongard is the highlight yes. of AWA. Uh, yeah, sadly sure. not on this show. But yeah, if you're looking for uh, random shows from the dying days of the <laughs> AWA, boy, have I got a podcast for you. It's random episodes of Wrestling at Random. And uh, same goes for World Class. So you go back yes. to our archives and we ran down the history of uh, world class, the promotion, different times throughout the promotion. He's the uh, randomizer, Vince McMahon. <laughs> because think about all these shows, all these shows that we've watched, whether it be you mentioned the late stage AWA, late stage world class, late stage ECW, those pro wrestling uh, plus or pro wrestling this week shows that basically chronicle how completely dead and barren the territory landscape is in the mid to late 80s. Those are all things that I imagine Vince McMahon would watch and feel good about if no one else would. If if we didn't also bookend it with like that 83 AWA show, that yes. world class show from uh, uh, the uh, where where Fritz von Erich and the Great Kabuki had a match, like <laughs> yes. you know, we go we, we we were able to bookend it. So if it was just slanted towards the dying days, that'd be one thing. But we do have <laughs> moments of the we do visit the glory days here and there. So. A cynical person would say that Vince McMahon would throw those few things in to get people off the scent of what his true goal was at the randomizer, but I digress. So the true goal here to unify the championships, will that be enough to make Super Clash 3 the big event that they expected to be in Chicago and uh, we'll get we'll we'll run through here as more cards as more of the card emerges. This is the main yeah. event, obviously, and we'll get yes. to the rest of it. Well, what I think actually the time to really go through and talk about what happened with Super Clash would be after the Lee Marshall Super Clash the control 3 update. Yep, the control we'll... <laughs> center of sorts. I think that'll that'll serve as a nice launching pad to talk about Perfect. everything that happened with Super Clash. The thing that I'm disappointed most about so far early on in this. Uh, episode of AWA TV from 1988 is that it, we go to commercials, but we just get a tease of the commercials. I know we could. They're seen. cut out. They're not in here. Very disappointed. I wanted to see what what was being advertised on ESPN in October of 1988 when AWA Television was on. But that's a good uh, point because a you know ESPN is not the ESPN you think of it no. as today in 1988. So this was this was a, a network. Uh, trying to grow from regional to national yes. and trying to add additional content here. And that's how professional wrestling got onto ESPN. Like it did with cable to begin with, or in the proliferation of, of UHF stations, you know, many decades prior, it was really always pro wrestling. That would be one of the things that 
new forms of television technology or however you want to say it would latch on to. Uh, we don't get the full commercials, but when we come back from this commercial break, what do we see? A very young and a little bit smaller, but still in great shape. Scott Steiner yes, is in the ring. That's Scott Steiner. And yeah, he's, the earliest Scott Steiner that we've seen yet. Yeah, this is 1988 Scott Steiner. He's got just black trunks on and white boots. So it doesn't have like the, the singlet you're used to seeing Scott Steiner, in, but still incredibly jacked. Yes. Uh, very Great mullet. Yeah, looks exactly like a young Scott Steiner would look. Yeah, if you watch Scott Steiner in 1991 and you imagine what would Scott Steiner look three years prior to that, it's pretty much exactly this. He He's kind of got young lion gear, yes. uh, which is, which is which, amusing. I was looking at him and I'm like, I'm like, this is 1988. This is the end of 1988, right? Can you think of someone who had more of a transformation in 10 years than 88 Scott Steiner to 98 <laughs> Scott Steiner? Well, even three <laughs> years later, let's go back. Let's say three and a half years later into the WCW New Japan Super Show. Yep. Uh, I guess actually less than three years because the first Super Show was in 1991. So about two and a half years. Think about Scott Steiner teaming with Rick against Hase and Sasaki. I, and well, I love you know, thinking about that. One of my favorite matches. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. One of my favorite matches of all time as well. We talked about it, I believe. Was that on the that's Patreon? That's on the Patreon, bonus yeah. That's, that's bonus content a, over there. A full review of the uh, of the Super Show. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the transformation, yes, from here to uh, Big Papa Pump, Scott Steiner, <laughs> some 10 years later, it is quite the metamorphosis. Not sure which is the butterfly, which is the moth, which is the... Uh, uh, the caterpillar, whatever that whole thing is. Uh, but, uh, Speaking of uh, guys who went through a transformation. Yeah, here's, really. Here's the international TV champion, Rugged Ronnie Garvin, who just a year prior was the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. And yes. now here he is in the AWA as the international TV champion. And then he would shortly, about a, what, a year after this, less than a year after this, he would be a mid-carder in the WWF. Mm -hmm. Crazy, uh, the uh, fall of Ronnie Garvin. Yeah, yeah. It kind of went all over the place in a very short period of time. Uh, the thing I noted as we saw the entrances is that there was a surprisingly decent crowd, it appeared, at least on this very lo-fi VHS source YouTube video of this show. I expected it to be far worse when you consider some of the crowds we've seen for these late stage uh, AWA shows. It, it it didn't feel like a completely dead territory uh, from this footage. We're told that Ronnie Garvin won this TV championship by defeating Greg Gagne for the title. Oh, and this will not be the only Greg Gagne <laughs> content we'll get here on this show. We'll, we'll get into him a little bit later. Uh, Greg Gagne had won the won the tournament, the inaugural tournament for the international television title, uh, by defeating Adrian Adonis, which I can only imagine what that match would have looked like in shortly. 1988. Yeah, he passed away shortly thereafter. That wow. Match. So that's uh, yeah, pretty crazy. And here we've got a just this is a fast match, quick slam by by Scott, and then a punch by Garvin. The Garvin stomp is the second move of the match. It's like 18 seconds into the match. That body slam from Scott Steiner is the only offense he'll have. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Garvin hits the big overhand chop. Garvin stomp. Uh, yeah, Scott, Scott missed something, and it was really weird. Yeah, he just came flying across the screen and crashed and burned as <laughs> Garvin moved out of the way. It's, it goes into that Hall of Fame, that Mount Rushmore of... <laughs> crazy camera shots of wrestlers just flying across your static shot. Uh, we always talk about from the, uh, the Ric Flair, Terry Funk, uh, I quit match that also great in, shot yeah. of Flair flying across the screen on the Funk's back. I always think of Rob Van Dam flying into the screen with the five star frog splash onto, I believe it was Hayabusa, Hayabusa or yeah. origin station. Zaki. I can't remember which in heat wave 98. This is right up there with it. Maybe even higher on that list because it's impossible to tell even what was happening. <laughs> Just a streak of young baby Scott Steiner flying across the ring and missing something. 
We get a big punch by Ronnie Garvin. He sits on the chest of Scott Steiner. The most gentle northern exposure. The most (laughs) gentle northern exposure we've ever seen here on this show. One minute, 52 second squash here for Ron Garvin. It was something to see Ron Garvin squash Scott Steiner, who, yes, looked young, but still looked like Scott Steiner. To see him get almost no offense at all, lose in less than two minutes, uh, was it was weird. And I guess Ronnie Garvin is a heel. That's that's what we're yes, led to believe. Heel Ronnie Garvin as Larry Nelson interviews Greg Gagne, who talks about Garvin, and he says, Garvin's nickname is the Hands of Steel. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it is not, Greg. He's the Hands of Stone. What Incorrect. are you doing? And, and it's not as though there was some copyright issue, and so in the AWA they had to refer to him as the no. Hands of Steel. No, they had referred to him, the announcers, that being Frank Dusick and Lee Marshall, had referred to him as the Hands of Stone in the prior segment. Craig Gagne, he... I, I, we'll get to it in his match. I almost feel bad for the guy because he's not a terrible wrestler, but he's just such a dork. And (laughs) during this period of wrestling more than any other, meaning the mid to late eighties where, you know, just having muscles and the big jacked up bodies, that was everything. The idea that he was this pushed wrestler contending for championships and a supposedly major promotion. uh, it, It just, it really fell flat. His promos similarly flat. He ends this by saying, I want you young man back of the ring for that title with far less conviction. Uh, I just said yeah, it. He, yeah, this he this wants existed. a uh, yeah. He wants a rematch at Super Clash Three. He talks about how Ganya uh, says that he obviously had something in his hand when he punched Ganya, knocked him out. So Meaning that Garvin, yeah, that Garvin, Garvin had, had a weapon a, of some kind here, an so. object of some sort. We may or may not learn more about that later uh, on this podcast. But what comes do next? Think, do, but do you <laughs> think that Greg Ganya, Eric Watts? David San Martino, do you think there would, you know, if social media existed in 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 the late '80s, would there have been like a photo of them at a bar together <laughs> uh, that would have just broke the internet of the day? Like, and then like somewhere on the other end of the bar, sitting by himself, is Bret Hart with just a smirk <laughs> on his face, like I got all the talent and they got none of it. <laughs> Speaking of talent, oh here we uh, go, yeah, a, a man who has all of a sudden become. Maybe the mascot of season three of this podcast after Countdown not appearing Bruno. at all in season one and two. I guess between season three and recent episodes on the bonus feed, downtown Bruno slash Harvey Whippleman. We cannot escape this man. He here is on everywhere. Yes. He's, he's managing all forms of Sid Vicious throughout his career. Uh, here he is managing a man that I had completely forgotten ever existed. And in some ways, it's like the symbol of bad ESPN wrestling, gorgeous Gary Young, who what a zero, gorgeous. He Gary. is a total nothing. His perm, though, oh, rock solid for a 88. beautiful perm with the mustache. It is a look, uh, but yeah, he uh, here it's fine because he is a jobber. Yes. In later years on promotions that were televised on ESPN, he would be one of the top pushed guys, and that was always hard to believe here. He is just cannon fodder for the world-class championship wrestling champion, Kerry Von Erich. Yeah, the, the the music hits. We hear White Snake still of the night. The crowd is singing along to the White Snake still <laughs> of the night. And uh, out comes Kerry Von Erich. He's, he's a world-class heavyweight champion, and he is popular. These yes. folks in Nashville are excited to see Kerry. Don't ever let anyone tell you that Kerry Vyderick was only over in Dallas. Nope. That's not the case. And that clearly is on display here in Nashville. So he he's in the ring. Bruno's on the apron and Kerry just waffles him with a discus punch <laughs> immediately. Like these matches are hilarious. The first match we had Ronnie Garvin doing the Garvin stomp as the second move of the match. And then here the first thing that happens is what usually is the crescendo of an old school face versus heel match where the heel as the manager, that being the heel being up on the apron and the face knocking them off, that starts the proceedings. Young jumps Carry from behind. Carry fights back with punches. Discus punch. Gary Young hits a cross body off the middle rope. Carry rolls through and gets the pin. Another <laughs> Just- short squash. 
just like that to me the the most noteworthy thing and the most interesting thing about this match of the segment was on commentary where Frank Dusick says that Kerry Von Erich has beaten Ric Flair, which I vividly remember as a very, very young so. child. He, former of, NWA heavyweight champion winning that yep, one match of, in one Texas. Of my, one of my first memories ever of seeing pro wrestling was seeing that uh, on TV as like a three or four year old. Uh, Hulk Hogan, which I, I highly doubt that's accurate that Kerry Von Erich ever defeated Hulk Hogan. By in this is in 1980. Like I just I find Me, that very hard to believe. Uh, unless it was like both in their rookie season, they're you know both <laughs> as years. children. Yeah, like uh, yeah. Hogan coming through the territory on his way to the AWA from Florida, uh, coming uh, to lose a match along the, the way. The timelines still don't really seem to add up, but who knows? And then also that he has beaten Randy Savage, which just seems hard to believe. I. I'm going to take a page from some of our Patreon shows, bonus content shows that we do. I'm going to do some on-air research. Good. To see if I can find this out. Because then they also say that Jerry Lawler has, defeat, has defeated Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. The Savage one, I, I completely believe. Yeah, I remember that was a big deal with the Memphis feud with the Kentucky yeah. Outlaw IW, ICW, a, ICW yeah. promotion that... Uh, that Angelo Poffo, his father, ran. So I remember that. So I totally assumed yeah. that that happened. Uh, but yeah, Hogan the other one seems a little more dubious. But the the Kerry Von Eric stuff, I'm I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, you do that. I'll talk about uh, Larry Nelson again interviewing Jerry the King Lawler. Um, he says that uh, you know the big news here. This is a unification match. So one of these organizations will lose claim to having a world champion. So I would make the argument that they, that they had each already lost a legitimate claim to having a world champion <laughs> before the titles were unified, but very true. And then we just cut to Sergeant Slaughter. Who's cutting a promo telling you to come to super clash three. He's got his GI Joe patch on his camouflage jacket. This, and he, uh, he's uh, he's in full GI Joe mode here. Sergeant Slaughter. He also somehow looks older here than he would in his 91-92 WWF run, which is bizarre. And apparently, so I, the only, at least on cage match, the only interactions in ring between Hulk Hogan and Kerry Von Erich that are listed were all battle royals mm. in the WWF, the in 91 the Royal, yeah. yeah, the 91 Royal Rumble a house show 20 man battle Royal, the Omaha civic center in 1991 and the 1992 Royal rumble. The f so when I look up Carrie Vine, Eric versus Hulk Hogan, there is a question on Quora.com that bastion of accuracy. And someone asks, uh, is it true that Hulk Hogan once wrestled and defeated Hulk Hogan before the Hulkamania era? So I'm assuming this person who asked this question on Quora seven months ago had watched, had watched the episode. same episode of AWA same TV questions we did. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so here, here's a sample of the answers. Danny Paul, who says that he's watched wrestling for 40 years says if Hogan went through the Texas territory, then yes, Fritz always made sure his sons went over Eddie friend who tells us that he's been watching pro wrestling since 1984 says that it's doubtful says that he never heard of Hogan working a world-class Jerry Lawler beat him, but Lawler beat everyone in Memphis. Tony Schlappick, a wrestling fan from 1992. Tony Slapowitz? <laughs> <laughs> no. I appreciate the attempt. Uh, said that he doesn't think they ever wrestled each other. Said uh, He said, to the best way knowledge, Kerry came in at the late 70s before he was featured act in world class. Kerry was wrestling in Florida, Kansas City, all Japan. Uh, basically, their paths never crossed before the WWF. Um, one person says they... Th they think maybe because they Hogan and Brody wrestled on a show that Kerry hmm. uh, Von Eric was on. So maybe their paths across. So I don't know. That's the closest I could get. The unassailable source that is Quora.com is the only, uh, the only information. Well, we will turn it over to our listeners who also have quite a few years of wrestling experience. If you yes. guys know of any Kerry uh, Von Eric Hulk Hogan match, that's uh, not a battle royal in the 90s. Tell us, uh, uh, shoot us a, a message on Twitter, Instagram, well, 
email, smoke signals or a fax. Call Send the wrestling us. at random hotline. Get your parents' permission for <laughs> that. Dollar um, sixty-five a minute. Dollar yeah. sixty-five a second. <laughs> There's a special Patreon tier for that. Um, I, what I'm really hoping is that either Eddie Friend or Tony Schlappick are listeners. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. It's totally, totally possible. And and they'd be this deep into this AWA episode. Absolutely. Uh, and now we're maybe to the, the point, only two. We're to the point where. Lee Marshall is talking about the Super Clash 3 card from the event center, the control center. Uh, it's at the well, UIC. Can we talk for a moment about how Lee Marshall looks here? Because when, when we he's saw Lee tan. Marshall, he's very tan. He has an incredible mullet, but he's the exact same size and shape that he was in the mid-90s in WCW. So it's, it's kind of an incredible look. Uh, he also tells us this is that tells us that the Super Clash Three is coming from quote the world famous UCI Pavilion. It is the UIC Pavilion, the University of Illinois at Chicago Pavilion, which is uh, we a lot of famous shows. Uh, t- tell me, Adam. I know you've you let me tell. I want you to tell the listeners your favorite shows you've seen in person at the UIC Pavilion. Oh, well, it's undoubtedly my first ever wrestling show, which I've, I've told the story in bits and pieces here on this podcast before. But May 3rd, 1992, I saw my first ever live wrestling show after many years of trying to convince my parents to let me go. It was at the UIC Pavilion, third row. Uh, highlights were a fight breaking out in the crowd directly next to me during Big Van Vader versus Nikita Koloff when I was one of only a couple people cheering for Vader. In that match, I probably maybe that's why the fight started. I don't know. Main event was at a house show of all things, the Steiner brothers defeating Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson to win the world tag team titles in a steel cage. And the opener of the of the show, my first ever live wrestling match, was a very green, just transitioning from being a manager, Diamond Dallas Page taking on Michael P.S. Hayes in a singles match. So that's uh that was my first show and then wcw would go there every couple of months for the next year or so uh so i i saw kensuke sasaki wrestle there on his uh excursion from new japan i saw i believe it was yeah it was uh dr dusty williams and terry gordy against windham and rhodes for the tag titles i got to see a lot of stunning steve austin who was my favorite wrestler back then so yeah a lot of a lot of good times <laughs> just a few years prior or a few years after i should say Super Clash 3 rolled into the UIC slash UCI Pavilion. Yeah, I saw uh, my first live pay-per-view event there. I saw Halloween Havoc 91, uh, which... 90, 91, it was that horrible Chamber of Horrors show. <laughs> oh, sorry, 90. Uh, I would Halloween... not be jealous of you, <laughs> of you if you had been at 91, but you were at no, 90 with I was that at... awesome Steiner Brothers Nasty Boys match. 90 with the, yes, yeah, Steiner Brothers Nasty Boys for the U.S. tag titles. Um, the Stan Hansen defeating Lex Luger for the U.S. title, Barry Windham as a fake Sting, and and we had uh, we had the Black Scorpion uh, out there with uh, uh, making an appearance and uh, crazy Sid Vicious versus Sting main event, uh, a horrible like uh, some horrible matches on the undercard, but no, this was that was my first live pay per view, and. Uh, I saw it. It was also one of the uh, first like concerts that my parents let me go to, <laughs> just like with 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 a friend driving me downtown, nice. and and we got to go uh, Nine Inch Nails in like '94 ish. Oh wow! Uh, Nine Inch Nails headlining uh, with Hole and Marilyn Manson as the opening acts. Oh, so a nice chill NPR smooth jazz sort it of was, thing. It was, <laughs> you know, it was a great show. I loved Nine Inch Nails in the in the uh, early '90s uh, there. So good, good times. UIC Pavilion. Yeah, the was, only was show, the only concert venue. I should say by uh, that I saw at UIC Pavilion was I think it might have actually been uh, this band's last tour. The one and only time I saw them, Oasis. Oh, oh, good, nice. I, I, I saw Primus there. I saw uh, Green Day there. Um, I saw, yeah, I've seen a lot of shows at the uh, at the UIC Pavilion and uh, wrestling, of course, a ton of wrestling. The uh, NWA WCW would run that until the Nitro days when uh, they would move to the United Center. Well, yeah, and they actually ran, I think they ran one Nitro at the Allstate Arena, uh, formerly known as the Rosemont Horizon, that dump. 
which which was in that like weird month where Hulk Hogan was uh, wearing black because the Dungeon of Doom drove him crazy. Uh, that uh, that era of shows, but uh, but yeah, a fun building. Uh, not a whole lot of wrestling happens there now. I think the last, at least last, I can remember any combat sports sort of thing was a WEC show that happened shortly before the uh, UFC did away with that uh, uh, that uh, company entirely. Super Clash 3 at the UIC Pavilion drew 1,672 people. I'm, while, you're, while you keep talking, I'm going to look up and see what my first wrestling show some three and a half years later, <laughs> there, Drew. Yeah, so, so just to tell you how far this had fallen, the original Super Clash in 1985, just three years earlier, had drawn 20,000 people to Comiskey Park, uh, the home wow. of the Chicago White Sox on the south side. They had drawn 20,000 people for just three years Later, they can't draw more than 1,600 for a title unification match between the AWA and World Class. Absolutely unbelievable. How It did 45,000 buys on pay-per-view, and this was the only AWA event to be held on pay-per-view. Did you know that there's a WCW show, a house show, 15 days after this? In that <laughs> same building, that drew almost 3,000 people? And you are going to be shocked when you see what, when I tell you what, Jesus, this is the card for the WCW show that almost doubled the super clash in attendance 15 days later in 1988. Dustin Rose and Kendall Windham against the Commandos. Dennis Condry and Randy Rose, the new Midnight Express, defeated the Fantastics. Abdul the Butcher defeated Bam Bam Bigelow. Fourth from the top was Ric Flair against Rick Steiner that went to a 30-minute draw. Then I'm guessing the semi-main event was the real main event as it was Lex Luger, Sting, and Dusty Rhodes defeating Barry Windham and the Road Warriors. And then, well, I guess this makes sense. The main event was a bunkhouse stampede match, which oh, was a big, that was a big, big draw back then. Larry Zabisco won the bunkhouse stampede to send the people home happy. <laughs> God. So yeah, that was uh, 15 days later in 1988. Yeah, this um, this card was brutal. This so Super Clash Three. They run down this card. They don't tell you the matches in this event there. They just tell you who's going to be there. But yeah. when we look at the matches, terrible. You had Chavo Mondo and Hector Hector Guerrero defeating Cactus Jack and the Rock and Roll RPMs, which is Mike oof. Davis and Tommy Lane. That's another one of those, like, you know, the territory isn't great when it's the rock and roll RPMs, sorry. And Jesus, then, yeah, 12 matches. Holy crap. Yeah. Eric Embry defeated, uh, Eric Embry defeated Jeff Jarrett for the uh, world class light heavyweight title in four minutes and 13 seconds. I don't know what's more shocking that match time or the fact that Eric Embry was a light heavyweight. Uh, he would be much heavier later. We then have. 24 seconds <laughs> the boogie woogie man pretending that he's squashing the road warriors here defeats wayne bloom uh in, in, like i said 24 seconds these matches there's only w one match on this show that goes longer than eight and a half minutes the average is time is thing. five minutes every one of these matches yes. is five minutes five minutes 540 yes. 550 like yes. they're all five minute matches uh Iceman king parsons defeats Brickhouse Brown, Wendy Richter, and the Top Guns defeated Bad Company and Medusa. In a match that was, it was a mixed tag for the AWA Women's and AWA World <laughs> Tag Team Championship. Greg Gagne defeated Ronnie Garvin for the uh, international television title, but by a countout. So but I guess since it was a decision match because it was vacant for some reason, he got the belt. <laughs> We, the, we then have oh yeah okay this was well, well let's let's wait for the rest of this we'll tease this the rest of the card that's the that's the opening uh then, then yeah enjoy your intermission we'll come back as we get <laughs> to the uh 
get to the details later. We got Bill Apter from PWI interviewing Robert Gibson of the Rock and Roll Express. Robert Gibson in a sweet red and white Pro Wrestling Illustrated t-shirt that probably as a child would have been my holy grail. Oh, that was a sweet shirt. The t-shirt. I didn't need Robert Gibson <laughs> no, with it. Not the, the holy grail of Robert Gibson. He says that the Rock and Roll did not split up. Uh, this was confusing. A listener qu- uh, or a reader question uh, asking if the Rock and Rolls ever wrestled each other. He says they did, but Robert wouldn't say who won. Yep, they we wrestled know, in Huntsville. Yeah, we Robert know Robert played- did not win that match. There's no universe where they put Robert Gibson over Ricky Morton. <laughs> yeah, he, he uh, they say it happened. He says it happened in Huntsville. He refuses to say who won in a way that tells you 100% who won. We then go from there. What is this segment? To, this is a segment that it may be the first and only thing that rivaled that doctor segment with the two doctors in the gym with talking the flowers. Talking about fitness and, uh, and, and nutrition. Rest helps. And they went on and on and on about this. This is the AWA Celebrity Corner. And at this point, so I'm just, weird. This, just imagining, like, is it Ricky Rackman? Like, who is going to be the celebrity? The celebrity is, in fact, major motion picture star Jodie Foster. Jody and so Foster. I'm like, wow. Jodie the- Foster was a wrestling fan? No. Shocking. Tell me more. <laughs> no, Jodie Foster, star of The Accused, being interviewed by Barry Bands in this week's Celebrity <laughs> by Corner. By the way, Barry Bands sounds like the star athlete in a knockoff baseball video game that did not have MLB uh, licensing or clearance. Barry is making statements to the celebrity Jodie Foster. He's asking questions to the celebrity Jodie Foster. And he's doing it as a guy who has clearly not seen or been briefed on this movie whatsoever. She was a little taken aback, but then a total pro and she was saves the interview. Unbelievable. This guy, Barry, came off like such a clown, and Jodie Foster, a total pro. It's uncomfortable does not begin to describe this. So this movie is about a woman who is assaulted, and there's another woman who's helping her or not helping her. It's hard to tell what's going on. But just with that as the backdrop, this guy asks... Who is the winner between these two women? <laughs> Who's the heroine of this one? But he, he's asked who, but he says, who is the winner? Why? And like, like so bad. This is you can so tell. Bad. I don't think it's that Barry Bands didn't watch the movie or didn't wasn't briefed on it, but I think as a man in his 60s, in or maybe it was maybe it was like 30. Who knows? I was gonna say this is the 80s, so he was probably yeah. 35. <laughs> <laughs> but as a man who appeared through current eyes to be in his 60s, and it was in the 80s, he clearly did not have the vocabulary, the aptitude, the emotional range oh. to discuss what this movie was about. No. And so then he just reverts to sports, and he asks who the winner is. She, to your point, was beyond a total pro. She did an incredible job finding a way to take these horrible questions. Took this somehow, question, just... uh answered it enough to pivot into an explanation about why this movie is important and why you should see it. And that great job. Amazing job. Yes. That said this, we talk about Mount Rush out of place (laughs) top two or three strangest things we've seen on any show that we've, uh, that we've watched. And I think maybe the strangest outside of some of the the weird commercials. Yeah. That doctor Um, segment was weird on that. What was that? (laughs) Was that on pro wrestling this week or I think it was was on Pro wrestling this week with Gordon Sully and Joe Pedersen. Yeah, so yeah, between they were not the doctors, by the way. No, no, that between that doctor segment and this celebrity <laughs> corner, wow, those were weird, so weird, out of place. Uh, we then go to the only thing that <laughs> this is the only thing you can do when you go from there, when you go from having Jodie Foster being interviewed by Barry Bands, uncomfortably about a doctor, you go into another segment talking about Greg Gagne. Well, yeah, we're talking about this is the Matt Classic segment where he's usually joined by Greg Gagne, but he can't talk about this objectively. So Larry shows us the match where Ron Garvin defeats Greg Gagne for the TV championship. Gagne with just two 
terrible blocks and then puts Garvin in an Indian deathlock. Uh, uh, we get a, like a leapfrog by Garvin and he collapses holding his ankle. Uh, Garvin then goes into his tights, pulls out a weapon, hits the big punch, puts the weapon back into his tights, gets the pin. Incorrect all around. This is not a Matt classic in any sense. I'll, I'll tell you what was great, though, and it made me want to see something coming up. Nothing from this match or no. about Super Clash 3, but we get a TSN sports update, as this was clearly a Canadian source videotape. So this was AWA on ESPN, but being broadcast on TSN in Canada. And it tells us that the Islanders will play the, quote, rough and tough flyers tonight on TSN. <laughs> and I'm hoping the file will, will extend and we get a chance to see that. Instead, though, we go to a, uh, a not very good promo from Ronnie Garvin in studio. He says he will defend the, the international TV title at Super Clash. He doesn't say much else. We should also mention that these studio segments are very awkward because unlike, you know, the NWA uh, on TBS or Championship Wrestling from Florida or uh, almost any other studio show that we've reviewed, when they're in studio doing these interviews, there's no crowd. It's nope. just deathly still. The only I think the only thing that I could compare it to is some of those uh, studio promos on that Smoky Mountain show that we reviewed. Uh, late stage Smoky Mountain show where Jim Ross is interviewing people, but there's no crowd. It just feels weird. Well, the weirdness continued because we go to the ring where we already told you good size crowd and Greg Gagne comes out to no reaction whatsoever. These people did not care about Greg Gagne coming out. No. And again, just think about the wrestlers that we've seen so far. They're either chiseled, sculptures of human beings like Carrie Von Eric or even the jobber Scott Steiner or their rugged tough men like uh Ronnie Garvin here Craig Gagne and like he what he does in this match is totally fine like he, he's a competent uh grappler but he just negative charisma just a black hole he looks like uh an incompetent middle manager in his underwear out there terrible haircut um i mean it's not as if uh, Vern Gagne was overflowing with with physical charisma but he was Vern Gagne and he had been Vern Gagne for so long that it didn't matter whereas Greg has none of that gravitas and it's you know there's one point where uh, they start to start talking about the the classic Gagne fire and he throws these punches and Irish whips and backdrops and a drop kick and there is no fire no, his opponent was a young Mike Enos. Enos, uh, you know, with the choking offense here, looked like he was straight out of 70s WWWF. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, he uh, he charges in, eats a big boot by Ganya. Then out of the corner, we get a backdrop, a drop kick, and then Ganya puts on the sleeper for the win. The people are not impressed. Uh, he then goes to wake up. Enos, because when you put a guy to sleep in the 80s, you have to wake them up. Uh, otherwise, they'll stay asleep forever. And so to wake him up, uh, I'm used to you sitting the guy up and then smacking him in the back, and that wakes him up. Here, he just slaps Enos in the face. This is not the proper way to wake someone up from a sleeper. <laughs> you need to slap him in the back. Come on. Come well, on, well first, he, mas he massages the neck of Mike Enos here. Then he slaps him in... I guess if a slap could be sportsmanlike, that's what happened here. Um, but yeah, there there was not much to this. There's way too much Greg Gagne on this show. I'm sure you're shocked to hear that, <laughs> uh, knowing that his dad ran the uh, ran the territory. But this was this was not good. Greg Gagne was not the right guy for this position at all. And thankfully, I believe that's the last we see of him here on this uh, on this episode of TV. Back to the studio where Dave McLean comes out to talk about women's wrestling. And, uh, you know, Dave McLean from, uh, uh, from glow and wow. And Pow he's, 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 he's been like, he was like the eighties, like women's wrestling promoter. He was Dave Prazak of the eighties, but not really, <laughs> but not really, uh, but not really. Sorry, Dave Prazak. You definitely are better than Dave McLean or David McBlain, whatever, whatever his name was here. He's the premier promoter of ladies wrestling, 
uh, Larry Nelson tells us, and he's he's representing the POW promotion. They are rep- they are bringing their uh, their star power, if you want to call it that, to Super Clash as well. There's uh, going to be a women's battle royal, and we will learn the names next week. He won't reveal the names until next week because that apparently is a hook to tune into ESPN next week and watch. Larry Nelson makes some like under his breath offhanded comment about David McBlane having the only legalized harem in the United States. Carrie Von Eric cuts a promo about there being one world champion. This is not good. It's also again, awkward and unsettling because it's in this quiet echoey studio. Um, Yeah. Not very good. What is good though? Oh boy. Here we go. Main event time. (laughs) Talk about a collection of human beings. We have, the stud stable and i got excited when i heard that because Me too. that meant rob fuller baby robert fuller uh the future colonel robert parker a guy who we love here on this podcast he would be a part of this it is wait to be fair to remind everybody who who have not listened to the continental wrestling episode uh, shame I believe on in you season if you two not. if you have not listened to us review continental wrestling in season two pause this go listen to it right now because yeah this is where we fell in love with the tennessee stud robert fuller i was never a colonel rob parker fan i didn't find him to be useful i was uninterested in in colonel parker however uh every every time i see the tennessee stud robert fuller this guy is can't miss must watch television and he like you mentioned became a favorite of ours through this podcast because i had never gone back and watched his uh watched any of his matches or his promos or his storylines and seeing these shows uh this guy's a super talent and i i'm always entertained i always enjoyed him more than you did i think as colonel rob parker in wcw um but yes he was certainly uh much better as the Tennessee stud, Robert Fuller, leader of the, uh, uh, the stud stable at this time. Uh, the stud stable, what a collection of people, as I said. It is helmed by Colonel or by, by the future Colonel Robert Parker, uh, Rob Fuller. Jimmy Golden, who would go on to be Bunkhouse Buck uh, in, uh, in the stud stable later on in WCW. Wildfire Tommy Rich, freshly turned heel. And it's also great. I always enjoy when stables have two managers. Yes. And that is the case here as, as it is a woman named Sylvia. And you guessed it, more downtown Bruno content. Yeah, Miss Sylvia, the real-life wife of Robert Fuller. Well, there and, you go. And uh, downtown Bruno, the, the Wait, mascot. Wait, was she the three. one that he tried yes. to push off on that terrible – who was that – that like bruiser whatever guy that was supposed to be like bruiser brody but was just like bob from accounting like he was so generic that is exactly from that Conti- story yeah. yes from continental yes so drop what you're doing and go listen to that podcast folks their opponents the stud stables opponents Bill what a, talk about a collection of men my god someone fired up the randomizer to put together a team we get superstar bill dundee a very young jeff jarrett and handsome jimmy valiant the boogie woogie man himself jimmy valiant without his beard fresh clean shaven jimmy valiant is disturbing the announcers make fun of tommy rich being out of shape ouch these these digs they stung they stung and they kept going on and on and on and then at one point you could sense that lee even lee marshall started to recognize as he was saying these things how overboard he was going because then he started to say well maybe this is intentional and this is so he can get more of a physical advantage um but yeah they're just talking about how just they just flat out say how fat he is like that's what they say oh and they basically and and lazy they're like you get this way by not working out not going to the gym like these i'm like holy crap dude and then they they compare him to late stage adrian adonis adrian adonis unbelievable yeah they got crazy uh this was not this was not nice what was nice was (laughs) seeing 
Jeff Jarrett, young, fiery, babyface Jeff Jarrett. He was awesome here. So it's good. This Again, really... we saw, yeah, we've seen him a couple of times as yes. young, fiery, babyface Jeff Jarrett. Uh, yeah, always, always a pleasure. Well, actually, think about that Continental show where they had that video package for Jeff Jarrett. And what was the footage they used? It was from AWA. Remember, mm-hmm. there was even uh, clips of him wrestling an older Nick Bockwinkle. And so here now, uh, this is that stuff before he goes off to uh, to debut in Continental. But he looks tremendous. It's a really cool, like, front chancery suplex. He's running wild with drop kicks, and he just looks like a total star here. Yeah, it's all Jeff Jarrett. Then it's all Bill Dundee early. Uh, Rich gets Dundee in his corner, but Dundee quickly crawls to his own corner on his hands and knees to tag <laughs> Jimmy Valiant in. Valiant uh, did, gives... did you like the baseball reference here uh, by Lee Marshall as he talked about speed has no slump <laughs> yes. when describing uh, Jeff Jarrett and you know how he can always use that speed. I also there was a great spot here that I, I just want to bring up because it's one of those things that you never see and I'm shocked. Uh, I guess no one else has the reason to go back and watch a show like this, but I'm shocked you don't see people doing it now. Uh, Bill Dundee goes for the backdrop. Jimmy Golden goes for the, you know, the, the traditional counter to the backdrop, which is to kick the man in the chest as he's leaning forward. Bill Dundee then just backs up and Golden in the process of throwing this missed kick goes flying up into the air and falls on his back. I love that. That was great. Yeah. That should definitely be something that comes back. Uh, Valiant gives Sylvia a kiss on the outside. Jared's back in. He gets cut off by Golden. Jarrett reverses the souple and tags Valiant back in. He... We got hold on. You got we got to go back and talk a bit about this hot tag from from Jimmy Valiant. First, he tags in, and what is the first thing he does? He throws the ref high into the air. <laughs> out of my way, ref. <laughs> high into the air and moves him out of the way as if this was not a disqualification. He then stomps on downtown Bruno's fingers as Bruno is leaning over on the apron, kisses Sylvia, runs into the ring after the chill, the heels chase him around the ring. This crowd is going nuts. And my notes just say, Jimmy Valiant is the personification of cocaine. <laughs> The Valiant just runs wild on all three guys. It breaks down with all six men in the ring. There's a sleeper by Jarrett. Dundee with a figure four on Fuller. Bruno get, comes in and he punches the referee a couple times. <laughs> Sylvia accidentally hits Fuller with a kendo stick. Gorgeous Gary Young then hits the ring. He's not in this match. And then uh, the baby faces win by disqualification. Well- Brickhouse Brown hits the ring to make the save. And that's the end of our main event. Well, there's some other weird stuff that goes on. There's some like random fan or a plant that we're supposed to believe is a fan that gets in the ring. They're tiny. They go after Bruno. Uh, Lee Marshall at one point yells, we got to run in here. As Gary <laughs> Young runs into the ring and starts punching a twitching, uh, convulsing boogie woogie man. Uh, the most disappointing thing about this whole thing is that we get such little Robert Fuller stuff yes, here. Nothing. The only the thing that is great though is there is no moment during this match where you don't hear grunting and groaning and yelling random <laughs> words out Robert Fuller, whether he's in the ring, outside of the ring, uh, legal, not legal. If you're listening with headphones on, you can hear him but we got so little of what makes him great. Otherwise I wanted to see him take wild, crazy bumps. Yes. uh, Comedically selling for Jimmy Valiant. Uh, We did not get any of that. We're told next week, the Iceman King Parsons defends the Texas title against Michael P.S. Hayes. Sign me up for that. As a kid who grew up on world-class, I could go for some eighties Iceman King Parsons versus Michael Hayes for the world-class Texas title. And Wahoo McDaniel versus the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez. Uh, go back to our, uh, go back to our uh, Mid Atlantic uh, review, where uh, you can hear all about Manny Fernandez's promo abilities. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm disappointed that we did not get this the the week after this TV that we just watched of AWA because I bet there's a Manny Fernandez promo, and the only thing more awkward than Manny Fernandez clasped hands with Magnum TA screaming about 
mainlining the fans uh, with fans screaming would be a Manny Fernandez promo like that in this in echoey empty... void studio. <laughs> in the empty studio, yeah. Yes. So let's. So that's the end of the show. Let's recap the rest of the super class show because the yes. show is all about building to that show. And let's let's read the names of the the women's battle royal uh, that David McLean slash McBlain brought us. It is the street fight lingerie battle royal is what they were going to be bringing people at the UIC Pavilion. The winner, the Syrian terrorist, defeated Bambi, Peggy Lee Leather, Lori Lynn. Brandy May Malibu, who I'm hoping was the American gladiator Malibu, who was a guy <laughs> and was the weakest American gladiator no. you've ever seen. It. If you were a fan of the original American gladiators, it was hilarious. Malibu always got knocked off the pedestal, always lost the joust, could not do anything right. I don't think that was him here. Uh, also, Nina Pocahontas and Luna Vachon. Well, you skipped uh, over uh, Brandy May. No, I mentioned Brandy May. So she was, if you watched the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, she was Amy the Farmer's daughter on uh, the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. And, and who uh, didn't watch that growing up? And of course, uh, uh, you would know uh, Nina as the future Ivory. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. So the future uh, WWF, WWE wrestler Ivory was a glow wrestler, Nina, at the time. Pocahontas and, of course, Luna Vachon, also in this battle royal. Um, after that, we had Sergeant Slaughter defeating Colonel De Beers, who was, so, for some reason, managed <laughs> by Diamond Dallas Page in a boot camp match. Which... Has no time listed, which I assume means that much like some of those uh, WWWF matches from the 70s, time stopped as just, just went on and on and on. Uh, we then have for the world-class tag team championships, it is the Samoan SWAT team, a young SST, at least a year removed from or a year before they would show up in WCW and be managed by Polly Dangerously here. They're managed by Freebird Buddy Roberts, and they defeat Freebird Michael Hayes and Steve Cox. Steve Cox, uh, he, he was uh, he was a global wrestler for a little bit there. Uh, Did as Steve well. Cox also wrestle as Steve Casey? I feel, or, or is that a different guy? That's a different guy. Oh, okay. uh, the, yeah, no. Uh, Steve Cox was always uh, always wrestled as Steve Cox, but uh, uh, yeah, he did some UWF global world class. I assume when you say UWF, you don't mean he was shooting with Maeda and uh, and Takata. <laughs> Not that one. Uh, we had an Indian strap match between Wahoo McDaniel defeating uh, the uh, Raging Bull Manny Fernandez. And of course... Seven minutes and 48 seconds. We should mention, again, the Battle Royal, 836. Boot camp match, time stood still. Tag title match, 753. Indian strap match, 748, which brings us to the match everybody came for. The, obviously, the main event, Jerry Lawler, the AWA champion, defeating Kerry Von Erich, the world-class champion, due to referee stoppage uh, for the uh, the unification of the AWA and world-class titles. 18 minutes, 53 seconds on this one. Was it, that, was it due to blood? Was that the story with that? Uh, I have no idea uh, what what happened with that. That's going to be a that'll have to be a story for another day. Maybe the uh, referee a, stopped it because it went over seven minutes and fifty three seconds. This is it twice went, as went, long as any other match. It went exactly eleven minutes longer than the uh, tag title match, and maybe that was the time limit uh, unspoken. And they went they went over time, so the ref had to stop it. That somehow was not your main event, though. Not the main event. So the the actual last match of the evening was the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, defeating the stud stable, Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden with Miss Sylvia, and sending the fans home happy with a double disqualification. Yeah, so they did not win. There was no winner here in the main event. Seven minutes of a double disqualification after a referee stoppage in the title unification. Thanks for watching this pay-per-view. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's... Uh, 45,000 people ordered this, which in modern times you'd think, oh, that's that's not terrible, but that was a blip on the radar back then. Oh. Yeah, so just a, a terrible show. 
Uh, whew. yeah, tough times. Did you times. know that there was a Super Clash Four? Stop it. Let's see. Oh boy, Super Clash Four in uh, nineteen ninety. Yeah, promoted by the AWA in April of nineteen ninety, and apparently, it says here on Wikipedia that it was added to the WWE Network as a hidden gem in September of twenty nineteen. So it is in play. It's in it play. In the, the randomizer. <laughs> Don't don't say it too loud. We don't want the randomizer to hear that. Uh, well, yeah, this is it's... fascinating. The semi-main event. Talk about harkening uh, back to a New Japan Tokyo Dome show that we watched and reviewed relatively recently. Larry Zabisco defeats Mr. Saito for the AWA title. I think that was the last ever AWA title change. Yep, because Mr. Saito won that AWA title in a match yes. we reviewed. Uh, and yeah, that's a, uh, where it was a surprise, like, oh, holy cow, Mr. Saito won the AWA title, was not expecting that. Uh, this uh, show had longer matches than Super Clash 3. Uh, the Trooper and Paul Diamond defeated Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom in a steel cage match in 24 minutes and 52 seconds in the main event of this show. Zabisco and Saito went 16 minutes. A guy named Tommy Jammer wrestled Tully Blanchard <laughs> in April of 1990 in a match that went 16 minutes. Oh, 16 Tully, minutes. Before Tully got the win. Also, John Nord, who would go on to be the berserker in the WWF, defeated Coquina Maximus, who would go on to be Yokozuna. So that's your dang days, AWA Championship Wrestling on ESPN. Uh uh, a, a nothing show building up to a terrible pay-per-view in uh, Super Clash 3. So It was a totally watchable episode of TV, though. Like, it didn't drag. No. Like, maybe no. I expected the, it to. They, the matches great, were short, flashes, and yeah, it was, a, it was fine. Uh, the studio stuff left a little to be desired a for lot. all the reasons you laid out. Uh, the format was weird. Um, the execution was weird. That Jody Foster segment was the weirdest. Absolutely uh, the weirdest. Uh, I also think this the, the studio segments with Lee Marshall and Larry Nelson were filmed in a basement apartment because the glass block window treatment behind them uh, was, was going hard. Favorite thing about this episode? Uh, it would be that backdrop spot, the backdrop counter spot that I talked about nice. where... Uh, uh, the counter kick and and uh, Bill Dundee moves out of the way. And when Jimmy Golden goes flying through the air, uh, I, I would say that was the most entertaining thing out here. Yeah, for me, uh, I'd have to say I was, uh, 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 you know, kind of shook out of my uh, out of my haze of watching this when uh, a young Scott Steiner appeared yes. on my screen. So getting to see him in action as a as a jobber was uh, was pretty fun. You know, um, there's not a lot to choose from, even though the show wasn't a terrible watch. There's not a lot to choose from <laughs> when on my side, it's a counter to a counter of a backdrop. <laughs> and on your side, it's I liked the jobber that got beaten a minute 52. <laughs> Worst thing on this show. Longer list to choose from. Oh, oh. sorry. Honorable mention for best thing uh, for Carrie Von Air coming out to uh, still of the night. Yes, I would say. I mean, I'm tempted to go with anything else, but to me, the worst thing on the show is the questions that Barry Bands, Barry Bands asked Jody Foster on the AWA Celebrity Corner. And I would say the most impressive performance of this show by far was Jody Foster MVP. definitely handling yes. those questions and turning it into something that somehow made sense. Yes, there's no doubt Barry Bands is by far the worst thing on this show. Just, just <laughs> embarrassing to the the someone would representing a wrestling show would ask questions like this and comments like that. Just terrible. Uh, so that is, uh, that is that we're going to call it a podcast. I do want to make mention of our Patreon. That's how you can support the show. We talked about a whole bunch of bonus content, uh, references. That's all available right now. You can unlock it for, uh, for, for just $5. You go and sign up via patreon.com slash wrestling at random or in your Apple podcast feed, click that subscribe button. It unlocks every single back episode of the bonus content. We're talking over 50 some episodes of bonus content available to you right now when you sign up at the Patreon. 
And uh, another fun feature when you not only get that bonus content, but uh, folks can upgrade for a month. You can say, you know what, this bonus content's been great. I really wish you guys would review this show. Uh, I really wish you'd review uh, Halloween Havoc 90 because I, I want to hear uh, about uh, uh, more about that show. You can bump yourself up to that $10 tier. You can be the randomizer, the executive producer. Uh, you call it the intentionalizer. I uh, do. <laughs> and you can choose what show you want us to watch. We'll review it. You bump yourself back down the next month to the $5 tier. Continue to get all of that bonus content. Or if we're behind some other new paywall of choice, all that content is there. It's evergreen. It's brand new to you. As soon as you sign up, patreon.com slash wrestling at random. That's how we have this show free of charge, ad-free every single week coming to you uh, coming to you here because we're doing that support. We're, we're doing the extra shows. We're getting that support over at the Patreon feed. If you can't support us financially in these times, I get it as well. Uh, you can support us by telling your wrestling fan friends about the show. Wrestling fans know other wrestling fans. Uh, tell your friends that used to be wrestling fans about the show. They might want to take a trip down memory lane with us as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know. This, this, <laughs> Thinking this much, this hard about 1988 AWA has, while not stacks broken me, it's broken. <laughs> it's broken my creativity at the end of this show. I, uh, I don't know. I, I can't imagine. Can you imagine having a friend who is a hardcore AWA fan? Like, can you imagine growing up and trading tapes or, or <laughs> you know, going to the grocery store with all your buddies to look at wrestling magazines? You ride your bike there and your friend, you know, turns to you and says, check out this Colonel De Beers match. Have you seen the new rankings in the AWA right now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, right. You would not be friends. And I don't think this podcast here <laughs> this... could bring that friendship back together. There are a lot of things in life that are forgivable. I don't know if that would be. Well, asking them to give it a try would be less awkward than any question Barry Bands <laughs> asked Jody Foster. There and, you go. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. We're calling it a podcast. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Adam, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy. And thank you, Randomizer. I think this was fine. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk to you again next time.